Okay, it was a little while ago, I read uh, a book by an atheist French philosopher, a guy called uh, Luc Ferry. And he was outlining uh, the strengths of the Christian worldview. The book was an overview of philosophy through the ages, systems of thought. And he considered Christianity as a system of thought. And he, uh, in many places, was saying, and it is a very good system of thought. And he presented Christianity essentially as the foundation of many of the values that we would hold very, very dear in our society. So he talked about the fact that we believe, don't we, that human beings are valuable because of uh, who we are, not because of what we do. And we believe that we have dignity because of that as human beings. We believe in equality, that all human beings are equal because of that. You kind of believe, I think, probably that stuff. Yeah, yeah, just a few nods. Um, And he said, um, that's because we come from a Christian country. That's the case in this room. For Christians, that would be the case for people who aren't Christians. And he said, that's because Christianity is so ingrained in our culture, and Christianity has given us that. He talked of values that we hold dear, things like mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And he said, again, those things are ingrained in our minds in Western culture because of Christianity. It's a good thing. But as I said, Luke Ferry is an atheist, doesn't believe in God. So he rejects it. He says there's good things in Christianity, but he rejects it. And in the book, it's really interesting. He didn't give lots of reasons, uh, arguments against Christianity, but he gave his reason. And his reason for not being a Christian was this. It's really funny. Uh, He said, but it's too good. It's good, but it's too good. It's too good to be true. So I'm not a Christian. I'm going to move on. That was what Luke Ferry, uh, the reason why he said he wasn't a Christian. Kind of a backhanded compliment, isn't it, really? Quite like it. I'd say, Luke, if I met him, I'd say, Luke, I wholeheartedly agree with half of your statement there. Uh, I agree that it's too good. I really do. And just to reflect for a moment, we've been doing it all t- the time in the, in the singing part of the service um, already, but just when we get back after Christmas, I think it's so good often to refresh, to wake up. Okay, what is it that I'm doing in my life generally? Um, but as a Christian, we often need to do this, where we have these things that we say over and over again and they they're they're really potent at first but then they just become familiar to us but these things that we believe are they're too good I mean this idea that we could have a personal relationship with the creator of everything that is the claim of Christianity I just ponder that that kind of trips off the tongue personal relationship friends with God yeah that's massive that's too good and you get this as well again nothing new to you here I'm sure but we get to know this God then we get to know his attention and his favor and his love. And we get to know that now. Oh, but then we're going to die and that's the end, isn't it? No, not at all. It gets more intense, those things, after we die. Wow, that's too good. The thing about it, though, the way I differ with Luke Ferry is it's too good, but I've come to the conclusion that it's true as well. And I imagine that I'm not the only one in the room in that situation. Many of us here today would be in the same boat we'd have come to the conclusion that the gospel of Jesus is accurately named. Gospel means good news. And therefore, one of the most natural things for someone who believes that to do would be to want other people who don't benefit from that good news to get in on the action. That's not weird. That's not over the top. That would be natural. In fact, that would be a loving thing to do. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and uh, maybe it was that your, your friend, uh, Christian friend, dragged you along. They've been bothering you for ages to come to church. I want to blow their cover here. This is why this stuff goes on. And if they're a bit weird, and if they often kind of drop Jesus into conversations or are really keen to talk about this stuff, you think, why are they being strange? The reason for their strangeness and weirdness is because of this. 
Okay? It's not because we have some strange quota here whereby you go, invite someone every month, you get like a free coffee. You get free coffee anyway, don't you? Um, no, it's because um, I imagine that they think that Christianity is too good, but they want you to know something of it too. But for those of us, I, I would imagine that the vast majority here who are Christians, the key question with this then is, okay then, we want to share the good news with others and so that they'll live in the good, good of it but how do we do that? How can we do that effectively and well? And what I'd like to do today is give an overview from the letter of, to, uh, of 1 Peter um, in answer to that question. And this is, um, I think, we're going to have another talk from Jonathan on eldership from 1 Peter next week. This is the letter in the Bible that we've been looking at for like the last month or uh, last term or so, sorry, from about September. And I want to Uh, As we've done a couple of times in these talks, I'm going to jump around the letter to show, because Peter has a really joined up approach to how to share the two good news of Jesus in this letter. And so I'm going to jump around a bit, show you he's really thought this through. It's not just a verse here and a verse there, and then land on one verse in chapter two that I think focuses our thought on it to to apply this to us. At the end, guys, just so you know where we're going, I want to pray for us. Um, And so I want to say right at the start here, at the end, it's one of those kind of things I want to get people to stand up and pray for you. I'm really excited about that because it's not just one of those things, oh, this is how we end the meeting. Um, As you'll see, there's something in this about we desperately need God's help here. We desperately need it. And I want to know whether you understand that (laughs) and whether you'd like that help. Okay, so that's where we're going to be heading to a bit later. So according to 1 Peter, um, this brilliant letter we find in the New Testament, how do we share the two good news of Jesus? Right. I don't mean anything but by this when I look around and say, uh, I know some of you have been around for a while, you know. <laughs> You've been around Christianity for a bit. I'm not making a statement on your age necessarily, but you know the drill, okay? And you know that a talk, if someone says, we're going to talk today about sharing the good news of Jesus, your mind will probably straight away go to, aha, I know what this talk is about. This is going to be about telling people stuff. Got it. I've been here before. You might have other words uh, for this, uh, what is sharing the good news be? It could be witnessing. Uh, it could be sharing your faith. Uh, a word that's very a technical term, evangelism, which some of us would know. Others who don't know think that sounds a bit odd. Uh, but you might know that word. Okay, and you think, yes, but I know it. It's telling people stuff. That's what we're talking about today. Well, just want to be clear. What, uh, Peter, in his letter of 1 Peter, uh, thinks telling people stuff is really important in this regard. And he says it mainly because he recognizes that that is how the people who he's writing to came to know Jesus. They were told stuff and they responded. So chapter 1, verse 12, for example, Peter writes this. And now this good news has been announced to you, to the people he's uh, ta- writing to, by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Okay, so we've got announce and preach. Those are telling people stuff words, right? But then he kind of goes on. He, he says, well, as you were told stuff, it's important you're ready to tell people stuff too. So in chapter 3, verse 16, he says this. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Announce, preach, explain Telling people stuff words. And telling people stuff is important in sharing the good news about Jesus. But I'm not going to be talking today about telling people stuff. It's kind of in the background. It's it's implied at certain points I'm going to say, yeah, don't forget about telling people stuff. That's going to happen. But that's not where we're going to land today because that's not where Peter lands here. 
he'd say, well, yes, telling people stuff's really good, but there are other ways to share your faith. And actually, for Peter, the, the, the emphasis in this letter is on a different way of doing things. I think he says it most strikingly at the beginning of chapter 3. And we miss this a lot when we read through the letter. We would have, you'd have heard this in a, in a talk we've had before. Because this passage, poor, poor Jonathan, you've got, to, you've got to feel sorry for Jonathan. He, he gets the duff passages sometimes. I don't say duff, you know, uh-oh. No, no duff passages in the Bible. But, but when you're a preacher and you're given a, a chapter and a half to preach on, which has in it slavery, respecting the authorities, what women should and shouldn't wear. Okay, that's a difficult sermon. <laughs> Just like, have pity on poor, poor Jonathan. And in the middle of that, there's a verse that you kind of think, I'm thinking about the other stuff here. But it's there. And it's an incredible thing that Peter says, specifically addressing the wives of husbands who aren't Christians. This is what he says in chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Even if some refuse to obey the good news, some being this is husbands who aren't Christians, okay? Your godly lives, the wives' godly lives, will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Just think about that for a second. If your uh, lens of sharing your faith is speaking, 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 this verse comes to you and says, what? Did he not get the memo on this one? This is like anti-evangelism. Peter seems to be telling these women that even if they say nothing, kind of, encouraging them to say nothing, well, if they live just a certain way, they will share the good news without actually speaking. Now, I said I was going to bring balance every now and again. Got to be careful here. We've got to bring context uh, here to what's going on. Um, this isn't a theological statement, I'm, what I'm about to say. I think it's just common sense, but nobody can become a Christian without hearing stuff. Uh, I hope we're aware of that. And again, that's not theological. That's just how things are. I mean, you could, wouldn't even know what becoming a Christian was. You wouldn't know what to do unless someone told you. Obviously, uh, that's the case. So there's an assumption here that at some point, maybe in the past or maybe in the future, there will be a telling people stuff moment or maybe many. But the, what, what he seems to be saying is at this point in time for these husbands, they really don't want to hear. Okay, obviously, some people don't want to hear. And there are some times as Christians where we think, uh, yeah, yeah, they, you might not want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Just so you know, many people think that that is what evangelism is. It's not. That's not the default position. And Peter makes that clear. This is kind of an extreme situation. But he's saying, no, there comes a point when, when people don't want to hear in a certain way, it's not that useful to just keep on bashing them with the same stuff. There is another way to share the good news of Jesus, and it's your life. Brilliant thing the, uh, last week, preaching at, um, at what was then... The, south, the west site of Church Central. Um, at the end, uh, Emily from the, from the site there, from the church there now. Um, I won't have to do this muddling out in the future. It's going to be great. Thank you, Jesus. Um, she got up and she gave a brilliant example of this in, in today's world, which I just thought was incredible, really, on the back of the talk. And she told a story about when she was at school. And uh, when she was at school, she was friends with this girl. And they, they just started being friends. And one day, the girl comes to her really concerned and uh, looked a bit annoyed. And she said, look, Emily, I'm really enjoying being your friend, but I found out some, something really disturbing. I found out you're a Christian. I, I've made it a point in my life never to be friends with Christians. I don't like Christians. I don't like Christianity. What am I going to do? <laughs> Emily was like, uh, I don't know. And so her friend says, look, I like being your friend, um, but can we make a deal? I, I'd like to keep being your friend, but this is the deal. I will be your friend if you never speak to me about Jesus again. 
oh, the wind blows, or just to say. Um, now, she said at the time, look, rightly or wrongly, like, you can think what you want of this decision she made. She said, all right, then, I'll do it. Okay, We're gonna, I like being friends with you too. I won't say anything. Absolutely fine. This is about 20 years ago, okay? Uh, Emily was, remained friends with this girl throughout school, and then after school, they maintained their friendship. And uh, Emily just told, said last week, at the end of the sermon, I just nicked her illustration completely. She said, what's really funny is I'm still friends with her now, and in the last, just in the last few years, what's happened is she's started coming to me to ask about faith. She's starting, well, how, you do that because of your faith, don't you? You raise your kids like that because of your faith. How does that work with you? And just like Peter said before, if someone asks you about your hope, well, be ready to explain it. She's found herself in that situation to the point where now her friend, she, she doesn't know exactly where she's at, but her friend has started attending a local church. Well, that's someone who was so anti when they're at school, they said, I will not be friends with a Christian. Okay, that's an incredible example, I think, of exactly what Peter's saying here. In our society today, our society has made a decision. They've heard lots of stuff about Christianity, or they, or they think they have. They said, oh, that's been the last thousand years of, of the UK, hasn't it? We don't want to hear anymore. And they don't. People don't want to hear a whole lot. That doesn't mean we always pander to that. It doesn't mean we always keep our mouths shut. But you know what? In a situation like that, it's very important to know, I think, particularly in a time of exile, a time where there's hostility from us, our front foot a lot of the time is, well, okay then, if you don't want to hear, that's fine. I'm still going to share the good news with you. I'm going to do it with a, a, a godly life lived right before you. How does this work then? Now, well, this brings us, I think, Peter pulls us all together uh, in the verse. I just want to rest the rest of our time on, which, if I'm being honest, is my go-to verse for sharing the good news of Jesus with people. It doesn't say everything there is to say about it, but I think at this point, where we are in history, in, in, in my life anyway particularly, this would be my kind of go-to. And it's in uh, 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 11. And um, again, we would have heard it weeks ago, but I just want to focus on this, make a couple of points about it, and then I want to pray for us. Um, Peter writes this, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. I think Peter's encouraging us to do two things there. He's encouraging us to live in the right place in the right way. Sometimes it helps us to say things, I think, things together. So say, say with me, he's encouraging us to live in the right place. It gets cut, start again. That was a slow start. In the right, in the right, yeah. Uh, I just want to simply talk about those two things, in the, living in the right place and in the right way. Uh, break that down for us before we close, okay? Living in the right place. Well, uh, we, where are we meant to live? We're meant to live among our unbelieving neighbors. There's a funny thing about communities, and particularly communities that are working well, is they have what we can call a centripetal force. I dropped this into the notes first time I spoke on this. I had really no idea what it was, but it just about worked. So I talked to some kind of friends, and they couldn't give me any perfect uh, illustrations for what this is, but I know what the opposite is, and I can illustrate that. In, um, uh, there, are, there are two kind of forces that work uh, on kind of in this sort of sense. A centripetal force, where, where the kind of force goes towards the center, and a centrifugal force, where the, cent the force goes outwards. And a centrifugal force, you'll know this if you've been to a, a park uh, um, and you're on a roundabout. Okay? Some of you, this might be a long-distant memory. I don't know. You might be 
gone one before church today. Who knows? But if, uh, if the roundabout, John, have you, was that this morning? No, okay, just checking. Not this morning, just yesterday. Um, spins around. If you're on the outside, from my memory, of a roundabout, and it spins, you get pulled out, don't you? Do you know that feeling? So you're being pulled away from the center. Okay, that's a centrifugal force. I don't have an illustration for the one I want to give, but it's the opposite of that, and it does exist, okay? And it's, it's a force that pulls you into the center, and if a community is good, it does this. It, it pulls you away from going outside, and it gets you, it, it's kind of insular. It's kind of inward-looking in that sort of way. And that can work in very small communities. So a couple, for example, you might have had this experience. You've got a, a really good friend uh, and a group of friends. And one of them, uh, they go and start a relationship with someone, uh, a romantic relationship. And uh, the, the stereotypical thing is, we never see them anymore. They're never around. They're all just hanging out on their own. Well, that's the centripetal force of a, of a small but good community in that sort of way. Um, families uh, do this. Clubs do this. Sports teams can do this. Music bands can do this. And churches uh, can do this as well. And I'd argue that the centripetal force in a church is potentially stronger than any of the others, the better the church is working. Let's face it, in a church, one of the um, key characteristics of a church that is any name has Christian on it would be that people in the community want to live like Jesus. I hope that would be the case here. I know that's the case here from knowing you guys. We want to live like Jesus. Now, just think about this for a second. Jesus was kind he was loving, he was accepting, and he was forgiving. They were quite important features of his life and his character. Now, I would say those are the characteristics we look for most in people we want community with, don't we? That's really important. Now, you might say, yes, but Johnny, of course, that's what a leader in the church would say, because church never works out quite like that. Yes, totally understand, but let's be, let's be pessimistic. Let's imagine that only 50% of the people in, in a church were trying to be like Jesus. I would still argue that would be, on, on average, would probably be an excellent place to be part of a community of. And if it's, a, if it's a community that's working like that, what it will mean is that community probably will fulfill many of your emotional needs and will lessen your felt need to spend time with people outside of the community. The problem with the church, it seems a little bit like a trick, is the better the church works in that way, the more we have to push against it because that is exactly the thing we cannot do as Christians. William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he said this, he put it this brilliant quote, the church is the only organization that does not exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it. Think about that for a second. I think it's a very, very wise observation. The church is the only organization that does not exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it. Jesus and Paul would have put it slightly different. They said that the key calling on us as Christians in our lives of how we live is summed up in one word, and it's love. And love is essentially uh, honoring others above ourselves. It's, it's putting others first, so therefore, in a Christian community of love, yes, there'll be love in that community, but the community itself will be putting those outside the community first. Does that make, does that make sense? If we loving community was working for those outside it. That's what love is. And if we live for those outside the community, we have to live among those outside the community. What does that mean? What does it mean to live among our unbelieving neighbors? Well, I know what it's not. It's not the same as living next door to. That's not what he means, I don't think. 
It's not the same as being in the same room as for long periods of time. That's not living among. It's not actually serving people as well. That's not living among. So that's very one way. This is a mutual thing going on here. I think what he means is to live among people means get, letting those people get involved in your life and you yourself getting involved in their lives. It involves being a listening ear and a help to others. You know, as, as Christians, I think we're, we, are, we try hard on this one. We're quite good at this, to, to help others. We want to help. We want to serve, like I said a minute ago. But that's not just, just it. It means helping and serving others. But it also means being vulnerable and letting other people help you. Many times in the past, I, I'll be honest with you, I've thought, oh, as a Christian, I've got Jesus. I couldn't possibly ask for help from you, like, because oh, you, that would be discredit to Jesus. I've got all I need in Christ. But your fence has blown down. Do you want me to help you do that? No, everything's fine. You know? No, actually, I think Christians, a lot of the time, we need to learn from people. That's what it is to live among. It's mutual. It goes both ways. Yes, living among people involves talking to them about things you find interesting, E.G. Jesus. I hope you find Jesus interesting. A, we don't often thank, we have a song going, Jesus, you're so interesting. I, I think Jesus' interestingness is one of the things I love about him most. He's incredibly interesting. So we talk to other people about him. But also, we listen to things that other people find interesting. We invite people to go to places we like to go. Maybe church, maybe church uh, meetings that we put on. We also go to places they like to go. Their homes, their parties, their hobbies. You see, the good news of Jesus is too good in many different ways. But one way it's definitely too good is it's too good just to be heard. It must be seen in action as well. Yes, we are called to talk about the good news. Of course we are. But we are also called to live among people who aren't Christians. And our lives among them is meant to be evidence for the goodness of that good news. It's not just a message that we have that's severed from all evidence base. You know what? I, I don't know if, if you're aware of this, but we're very, very used to in our culture messages that are severed from any evidence base. Sometimes those messages are really well put together, incredibly clear, incredibly witty and cleverly constructed. They come with beautiful images and they come with, with, with wonderful narratives all around them. You know what they're called? Adverts. It's marketing. It's slogans. And they can be, they affect us all. That's why people use them. But actually, we, we kick against them, don't we? When we see what's happening, no, I, I want to know why. Why should I buy this shampoo? I don't believe you. Why should I vote for this party? I don't believe you. Every area of life is slogans and the evidence is missing. And you know what? My, my fear is so often that faithful Christians who are faithfully sharing the message of Jesus they're doing things right, they're doing things faithfully, but they're heard in exactly the same way as people hear adverts or party political broadcasts. Because there's no evidence. They just think, well, you, anybody can say something. But what happens when people see our lives transformed by this good news? Well, that's when people start saying, oh, okay, I've got to stop. I've got to think. Big mistake I've made in my life is thinking, oh, you mean, don't you, for like a term. Uh, for 2020, I'll do this. I'm gonna, this is my person. I'm going to hang out with them for this year. And yet, Cindy, uh, nope, didn't, no, no action there. Cross, 2021, who shall I go to this time? No, this is about your whole life. 
I'm going to be honest with you, 20 years. My friend's story is so great. 20 years. She saw nothing. She just probably felt really guilty for most of that time because of this silly deal she made as a kid. I'm saying, if t- even 20 years, I could have friends now who don't even want to be friends with any Christians who have started going to a Christian gathering. You know, that's a win. That's amazing. I think our short-termism on this stuff can be a real problem for us. I want to ask you, I don't want to ask you what you're going to give 2020 for. I want to ask you what you're going to give your life for. You've come to Birmingham lately. I think when I came to Birmingham, it was this, I'm coming to Birmingham. I'm here. I might be at university. I've got three years. Well, by then, what's going to happen? How many people are going to come to know Jesus because of the mighty Johnny Meller? Not many or none. There would be a, in, the, in my university years, that would have been the case. But that wasn't the question. God would ask each of us, what are you giving your life to? Who are you going to live among? Who, who are you going to show when things are good, your life, when things go wrong? When you get a, a new job, when you're bereaved, that's what living among people is. We commit to that stuff for the long haul. And as people see it for five years, 10 years, 20 years, it unpicks what they've been told from all the bad things they've seen. And they come to one they say, maybe this gospel is good after all, because I've heard nothing but bad about it, but your life lived consistently before me, tells me that Jesus makes a huge difference. But there's more to be said even than living among people, living in the right place. So we finish, we need to live in the right way as well. Peter's words are not just to live among uh, your unbelieving neighbors. Be careful, he says, to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. We need to live in the right place. We also need to live in the right way. Funnily enough, I think this second point might be the reason that for some of us we struggle with the first point. I'll share what I mean. I I did a talk very much like this a few years ago, and a friend of mine came to me at the end, and uh, this doesn't happen often, but please feel free to do it if you want. I prefer to know rather than not know. He came up to me and said, I am not applying your talk today, Johnny. Just thought you'd want to know that. I'm not going to do anything that you've just said. So, you know what? You knock yourself out. Fair enough. Why? What, what, what's, what's the problem? And he told me uh, why he wasn't. And that was because he feared that if he lived among his unbelieving neighbors, he wouldn't be able to live properly. It was the two things. You can either live properly or live among your unbelieving neighbors. Okay? You choose. Because it, for him, what had happened was he'd done this stuff. He'd gone to the pub crawls. He'd gone to the office parties. He'd shared his life with others and let them into his. But what he'd found was that his friends had influenced him more than he'd influenced them. And actually, he realized, I look just exactly the same. In fact, I don't even know where I stand on a whole load of things anymore. Now, you might expect me to say, well, to brush that under the carpet, yeah, he got it all wrong. What a, what a sucker. Don't think of that. He is that is in us. He's greater than he that is in the world. Go. Actually, no, I think we need to pause on that because I think that guy understood something pretty important that we need to realize. Living among unbelievers is a really risky business. I, I, can, I almost can't push this to you too much. It's risky. If you're living among uh, people who have exactly the same values as you, who do things the same as you, and who, who praise you for doing the things that you want to do, Okay? and criticize you sometimes for doing the things you don't want to do, actually, that's reasonably straightforward to live in a certain way. If you live among people who have completely the opposite set of values and are trying to do things that you don't feel you want to do, that's hard. That's risky. The Bible talks about 
things like that. It says, bad company corrupts good character. <laughs> there's, there's wisdom here. You're, you're meant to hang around. In a sense, it's like saying live in the community. Obviously, we do that. We say, well, okay then, because I've been out there and that corrupts me. I don't want to be corrupted. So I'm staying in here. Forget that stuff. That can be for someone else. I'm staying in here. He was right. It's risky business. I'm just not saying that people themselves are trying to undermine our faith and derail us. I, I don't, I admit some might be, I don't think it's many. Um, I'm not trying to demonize people in this regard. I think it's more to do with the, the world in general. I think we've got to have a, 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 we've got to be savvy about what's going on around us. Bible tells us quite clearly who is in charge of the world, the world around us. Any, any guesses? Two big options, but I heard it over here. Yes, yeah, Satan. Nice, nice that one. You think, what? God's in charge of the world. Well, funnily enough, um, this conversation was once had. Uh, it seems literally uh, that Jesus goes into the wilderness um, to prepare for ministry, and the devil comes to him, and he tempts him. And one of his temptations is, if you bow down and worship me, Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Hey, just pause for a second. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Jesus, according to Colossians, is, and a number of other letters, is the one for whom and through whom and to whom all things were created. Okay? Pretty good right of ownership right there. So if someone then said, I'll offer you all the kingdoms of the world, what would be a natural answer? Question to the floor. <laughs> You're not yours to give. They're mine already. <laughs> you can't give me what I already have. Go away, you pesky devil. Something like that. That would be fair enough to say. He doesn't, does he? He says, no, no, I'm called to worship the Lord God and worship him alone. The implication is actually Satan had it right. He does. There's a way in which he has direct access to the kingdoms of the world. We've given it to him through our sin. And though our individual friends are not trying to derail our faith and turn us away from Jesus, but the systems that exist in the world under the power of the evil one are trying to do that and are very, very effective at it as well. Living among your unbelieving neighbors then is throwing yourself onto the front line in a particularly fierce battle before a particularly hostile enemy. And I'd love it if everybody in here could do it. <laughs> you think, that's not what I want to hear. This is the deal. If you go out there on your own to do it and think that through your own, I don't know, panache or self-discipline, you'll be fine, you will crash and burn. That will happen. However, we're not called to go out and do it on our own. We are given all of the resources that we could possibly need to help us here uh, for, for not just getting by, but for helping and blessing others. And in a second, I'm just going to simply ask, the, the question is, do we want them? They can be there, they can be there all for you, available. We think, nah, I'll be fine. You go on your own. That's how you've got a choice. That's your choice, essentially, in this whole business. To conclude then, I just think it's important we get these two things the right way around. We live in the right place in the right uh, way, but I think we get it muddled up with those two about who, who's responsible for which half of that, that stuff. I think, let's, let's put it like this, this might sound a bit blunt, but when it comes to living in the right place, that's on you, okay? <laughs> that's your responsibility. Um, I remember a guy coming to... Uh, be prayed for at the end of a meeting like this. I don't know what will happen today. I, I won't share any names if you come and get prayed for. But it's interesting how people do this. And he came, to, he came very right, right uh, kind of feeling. He, he said he was frustrated. He'd been a Christian for a long time, and he'd not seen anyone become a Christian through his witness. And he said, Johnny, can you pray for me that I would 
do that. And so I was about to pray. I thought, well, wait a minute. I'm going to ask a question first. I said, look, sorry, sorry to, before we do anything else, have you got any friends who aren't Christians? He thought for a second and very honestly answered, no, I don't have any friends who aren't Christians. So I refused to pray for him. That's what I did. <laughs> might, might sound a bit mean, but what I said was, look, go and find some people and spend some time with them and then come back and I'll pray for you. Because, I mean, God can do all sorts of things. I mean, he can do anything. He wants to. But there's a call on us. It's up to us, this stuff. Where we live, you're not going to wake up one day and find, oh, wow, I've got 40 friends. Thank you, Jesus. That was amazing. No, that's kind of in our call, the ball is, on that one. Um, It's a matter of, I suppose, practically, uh, booking time in our diaries, deciding who we'll go on holiday with, deciding which invitations to take and which to decline. Deciding which church meetings to go to and which to decline. The new life group thing, that's going to be a challenge for us. I'll be more honest, that's going to be a challenge for me. Because, and I think for others of us, because there's a tension here. I can't tell you how to do this. I think this is one of the most difficult things in life. No, I need to live in the community, but I need to live out here. But which is it? Give me the magic code. No, there is no magic code. We have to live with that tension every single day of our lives. If we're not living with that tension, we're probably not following the Bible's teaching here. Now, that's the ball's in our court on that one. But when it comes to living properly, living in the right way, we can do the opposite thing. We say, right, great, living properly, I've got that one sorted. I am a person of incredibly strong moral fiber. I've got some great techniques and strategies. My self-discipline is going to carry me through. No, 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 that's terrible. This world's under the power of the evil one. Why do you think by your strength of character that you will be able to influence your entire group of friends and they won't influence you? That's arrogance. Nobody in this room has the power inside to do that or can go out and just expect that to happen. But with the Holy Spirit in us, drinking deeply from his wells every day, well, yes, of course he can. God can do anything. Look at Jesus. Jesus was known he, he was known for this, that him and his disciples, they were always eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Is that your reputation? Always eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Well, actually, if you hear of Christians who do that, you think, yeah, probably a bit dodgy. Probably a problem here. Now, how did Jesus do it? Well, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John, John 7, 38, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. I think one of the most, if not the most important questions for any Christian at any moment is this. Are you thirsty? Do you need the Holy Spirit? I sincerely believe that all of the resources we need are here for us. I'm not saying we'll get them instantly, but I think they're all here for us. I think that's what the Bible teaches us. We just need thirst. He won't give them to us unless we're thirsty. He goes on. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. The scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And I think sometimes I can wake up in the morning and I can, be, I can lack thirst. But often it's actually because I'm not living in the right place. We're meant to be living lives that are risky. We're meant to be living lives that are out there, living among people who, you know what, it's going to be difficult, this situation. This friendship is going to be difficult, but now I'm going in. And as I go in, every moment I'm going to be... God, help me. I'm gonna, I don't want to lose the good things you've given me. I want to bless. I don't want to curse. I want to serve. I don't want to fall. Help, 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 help. And he comes and he helps. Because if we're thirsty and we come and drink, well, he brings rivers of living water to flow from our hearts. 
And so my question to finish is, uh, are you thirsty? And so if you like, if you think, yeah, this year and beyond, I want to live in the right place and I like to live in the right way, way. And you know what? I desperately need the help of Jesus in this. I just ask you to stand and I want to pray for you. And I want the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. So I'd ask you if you do this. It's one of those things, if you don't stand, it's not like I'm going to, people will be right, you're a bad Christian. Okay, it might be you're doing great on this. You think, well, just actually, I don't need a, a, a push on this. I think I'm doing okay. Now, if you think, no, I want to change something today. I need the Spirit to help me in this area specifically. I'd like to stand and I'm going to pray for you.